Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And Mayu is not here with us today. So if you guys are tuned in to Mayu, uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. He won't be in today's episode. If you are following him on Instagram, you can see he's traveling the world with his wife. Pretty disappointed. He's slacking. I'm joking. He's been working hard the last couple of weeks, so I decided to give him a week or two off. Anyways, you're going to be dealing with me today. So just some update on me and my life. Our wholesaling business, Ontario Property Deals, which is co-founded by Will and McGill, who was on this podcast, and myself, has actually crushed our goal of generating $7 million in revenue in our first year of operations. And the year is not even up yet. We still have a little over 31 days, December, and I guess the remainder of November to go. Um, But we are happy that we're able to do so. Wholesaling was actually the reason I decided to quit my full-time jobs for those who don't know. Um, Essentially, I was doing a bit of wholesaling myself. Waylon was taking it on a more serious scale, and we decided to partner up. In our first month, we made a pretty decent amount of revenue. I think it was about 50,000, 60,000. And I decided, you know what? My time is much better spent helping grow this business with my business partner, Waylon. And at this point, we have... This month alone, we've generated well over six figures in revenue. And we're hoping to keep that consistently up in the future. But a lot of changes and have been made since we started wholesaling. For one, we started hiring more acquisitions managers to increase the deal flow. So if you guys are on our emails list at www.ontariopropertydeals.ca, you're probably seeing a lot more deals shoot out. So we have different regional acquisition managers handling particular cities. So some in Northern Ontario, some handling Eastern Ontario, some Western Ontario, so on and so forth. So we have reps all over the place. And on the dispo side, disposition side, we made a lot of revamps as well. We're really focusing on doubling down and systemizing our business so we don't have to work as hard. Next year, the next logical hire is going to be a disposition manager because right now I'm still handling all of the phone calls, all of the write-ups of the emails that you see, um, putting everything together. So obviously that could be quite time-consuming especially when we have multiple deals on the go. And so obviously I want to kind of offload that so I can focus on my next goal next year, which is growing the portfolio. So this year I kind of slacked on acquisitions, purchased about 16 units or 17 units of real estate and um, just kind of left it at that. Most of the acquisitions happened in the first half of the year. Actually, all of the acquisitions happened in the first half of the year. Then I didn't buy anything after that. And the reason being, again, is I wanted to dedicate my time in growing the business because ultimately the wholesaling business is what's uh, what I live off of, the income that I need to live off of. It's the reason I quit my job. But I understand that the real wealth in real estate investing comes from actually acquiring and holding and owning these cash flowing assets. So next year, we're setting a goal of buying, um, I think it was in and around close to 100 units. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Obviously, you won't be able to do that alone. So if you guys are interested in joint venture partnering with myself, feel free to shoot me a DM. Since Mai is not here, I feel, I feel like I'm going rogue with the shameless plugs right now. 
Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the goal for myself next year to continue acquiring burrable properties and scale the portfolio. That way, we actually just picked up a property. It is it was for an insane price. So we got it off market. The neighbor was a one or two acre lot of land, single family house, and it sold for four hundred and eighty thousand dollars. And we picked up the neighboring house beside that, which is on a ten acre land. Um, and it is a duplex, side-by-side duplex with an additional single-family house on that lot of land. That duplex is 1,800 square feet each unit. And the single-family house is about seven or 800 square feet. We picked that up for $450,000. So even cheaper than what the neighbor's house sold for. Again, we got that lead source typically like as we usually do, which is through our mailers. So we send out mailer campaigns all over Ontario and we get calls. Sometimes people don't sell, but we'll follow up or we'll ask for a referral. So that's how we ended up actually getting this lead. And um, we decided we got the inspection condition. Everything came back clean. So now we're going to waive the conditions. Um, a lot more things going on on my end. I just don't want to run on a tangent. With Mayu not here to check me, I can just keep on going on and on and on. But this podcast is not about me. We're going to jump into today's episode. Today, we have a very special guest, Antonio Young Sam. Antonio is actually a good friend of mine. We met at RBC and believe it or not, he's the person that got me to get started in my investing journey. He introduced the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad to me. So Antonio has owned eight properties and he, he's looking into flipping more properties now. He's a millionaire at 26 years old, still working his full-time job, still grinding away. His story is super inspirational. He gets all into mindset, pivoting to different markets from Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, all the way to Edmonton, and he gets into his new strategy of flipping and how he plans to start acquiring off-market deals. So this is an episode you don't want to miss out, especially if you are getting off started in your investment journey. This is going to be a super inspirational one. Make sure to tune in. Today, we are joined with a very special guest, Antonio Young. Sam, Antonio is a good friend of mine at RBC. Um, we actually work together and and he actually was the person who got me started in real estate investing. Antonio, how's everything going, man? It's good. It's good. Everything's going well. Um, I'm glad I'm seeing my friend again um, because uh, Austin and I used to chat a lot about real estate and nerd out on. Yeah. So most of the listeners know that I was a very frugal person um, while I was working, maybe even slightly before I was working as well. And Antonio was my frugal partner, would keep each other accountable not to spend a penny, you know, go. <laughs> Savings rate was easily over 90%. So good times, good times. I'm sure we both straight away. I hope you straight away from that as well. Um, I did. Okay, that's I, good. Um, I, I think I remember talking to Christine and she's like, yo, why are you becoming like so frugal and stuff all of a sudden? Why do you not want to do stuff? And I told her about my good buddy, Austin. Um, and she Terrible she influence. Quickly <laughs> went like, who's this Austin guy? That's hilarious. Um, She's like, yeah. stay away from him. He is a bad influence. That's good advice. That's great advice. So without further ado, for those who don't know who you are, why don't you give a quick highlight into where you are currently in your real estate journey? And then we'll take it back after you kind of go through some of your accomplishments. Yeah, it was. I think I'm going to go through more of my story and how I, I got into uh, real estate for there because you know my story and I have a very similar story to you. Um, where it was like, I was doing everything that society told me to do, or they were saying like, Hey, get good grades. Um, 
get good grades, go to university that I did. And I studied really hard and I actually graduated um, close to the top of my class. And then afterwards, I competed to get these good internships like auditing at PwC and then afterwards, um, private equity at Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. And then for me, it was just like, I thought I made it. I was like, I'm doing everything that society tells me to do. So therefore, I'm going to be amazing and I'm going to be incredibly wealthy. And I got into this shocking realization with one day at work when I was just crunching a lot of Excel sheets and I was projecting, I'm like, hey, when am I going to be wealthy? Um, because I wanted to get wealthy because, you know, my my parents were immigrants and they were dirt poor um, and they couldn't buy anything for um, for me. And so for there, it was just like I was like computing these numbers. And when I was computing them, I was like, I'm never going to be fucking wealthy. <laughs> and that's when I got to a point where I was just like pretty sad to realize that realization that everything I was doing was just like. I was just running like on, on a wheel, like a hamster. And then afterwards, it was actually this that saved me where it was just like, I went on Google and I was like, how do I become wealthy? And that's when I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then I thought I knew the concept of like assets, liabilities and all these things because I studied finance and I was just like, yeah, I know all this stuff. But it was like, I didn't know any of that because before then I was just like a big spender, spend a lot of my money. Um, and then afterwards, when I read this book, I started saving and started to learn more about it. But then from there, it was just like I picked up my first property. And then afterwards, it quickly snowballed um, into more properties. And then for me, it's just I've acquired eight properties and I've sold off four of those properties. So they they aren't like I had eight properties at one point. It was kind of like I bought one, I sold one, I bought two, and then I sold some more. Gotcha. No, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm going to dig down a bit deeper into, I guess it's not really real estate related, but you keep on saying that you want to be wealthy. I'm trying to get a better understanding. So what do you mean by wealthy? Because a lot of people talk about wealth as in like, oh, I want a million dollars, two million dollars, 10, 20, 30 million dollars. Um, was there a specific number for you? I don't think it was... Uh... A specific number um but when i was computing those numbers i was like hey when am i gonna actually have like a million dollars because everyone has that thing where they're like hey millionaires millionaires once you've become a millionaire you've made it um so for me it wasn't more so of like a number for me it was just more like um freedom and at the end of the day we all just want happiness and one thing that I, I believe in is like there's this happiness spectrum where it's like you got to make sure your relationships are OK, your wealth is OK, your career is OK, um, spirituality, fitness and all these things in order for someone to get happy. Wealth was one of those things where it's just like easily it takes up like the most amount of time within a, like a given week. So if it's possible to master that aspect, I have a lot more time to focus on the different aspects. Um, so for me, it was just like, hey, if I have enough money to for my expenses and a little bit over that, then I'm going to be wealthy. Um, and that number just looks like, hey, if I can make like 100K a year in passive income, then I consider myself as wealthy. Yeah, no, I think I think that definitely makes a lot of sense. And when I think about wealth, it really comes down to an income perspective of having my assets generate enough cash flow for me to live my lifestyle 
because wealth, not the technical definition of wealth, but freedom is 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 kind of, I guess, what we turn towards with real estate investing. And wealth is a byproduct of that as well when you own these assets. Um, I want to dig down deeper into your first property. So you read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you ended up pulling the trigger and buying your first property. Can you tell me how that experience was like? Um, did you do that alone? Did you save the money? Kind of walk me through that entire first property journey. Yeah, that was probably a, a lot of learning and a very like um, a lot of, I guess, like being scared about everything. Because back then, it's, it's just like now I can like pick up a property, sight unseen, put an offer and close on it. Before, it was not the same way. Because for me, it was just like I, I, I did bigger pockets. I read like all the books of Brandon Turner um, and all of these these little books. I attended like um, at that time, there was no not much networking events. And there wasn't like Matt McKeever and Mike Rosehart at the time. So it was it was just me like, hey, I read this book. OK, now what do I do? And a lot of people, believe it or not, like four years ago, a lot of people weren't investing in real estate. And it's like your podcast, Andrew's Heinz podcast, Matt McKeever and Mike Rosehart, these guys, they popularized, popularized real estate investing. So at the time, it was just like, I was like, okay, there's not much resources online. So I'm just going to go um, reach out to people that are investing in real estate. So what happened is I drew this whole big list of all the people I knew that were investing in real estate. And then I called them. Um, and if I, I could meet up with them, I would meet up with them. And a lot of these guys were just were investing in um, condos at the time, and these condos were net cash flow negative. So I was saying that, hey, if I were to buy one of these, I'm just going to be like, I'm going to be working even harder because this becomes like a liability because I'm losing like two to four hundred bucks a month. So then it, I was starting to lose hope as I, I kept talking to condo investors, um, and it wasn't until I stumbled across one of my friends. Um, named Dan, and he was investing in Kitchener. And then he had three or four properties at the time. And I was like amazed by that. And I was saying that, hey, Dan, can can we do, can we jump onto a property together? Um, and Dan's a great person. So he says, yeah, Antonio, let's, let's, let's um, buy a property together. And he brought in another one of his friends. And so it was Dan, Tyler, and myself. And we bought our first property in Cambridge for about four years ago for about $340,000. And the total payment that we had to do was 36,000 split three ways. So it was $12,000. And at the time, $12,000 was like, I had $15,000 at that time. So I was like, wait, okay, sorry, I'm sorry, pause on that. Um, so I assume you guys went, you didn't go 20% down if you, all you had to put in was because yeah. it would be 70,000 split three ways if you went 20%, right? Yeah, we we put like five percent or six percent or something like that um, per down, mm. and so we split that. We put that five percent down, and then we had like CMHC and all these other fees, which added up to thirty six thousand. And so then afterwards, we just split that three ways, and it was twelve thousand um, dollars. And then I had three thousand dollars remaining in my bank account. And when we put that under contract, I was just terrified. I was just like, I was getting cold feet, and I was like, okay, I can't. I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to back out. I'm going to tell my partners. And I told my partners, I was like, yeah, this is way too big of a purchase for me. 
Um, and then for them, they were just saying that, no, it's goodbye. Get in, you know, we know our stuff, like, you know, just jump onto that. And through the entire purchase, like to the closing date. And even after the closing date, I was like, what the hell did I just do? And it was like, I was just scared and terrified. And I was just learning um, throughout the whole, whole way. Um, and then after there, while, while I saw that the property like stabilized and we were able to Airbnb the front unit, get that stabilized and also kept our tenant in the back. And then we started to get some cash flow. That gave me comfort. And I was like, hey, it's possible to build a big real estate portfolio like this and keep accumulating assets, just like the book Rich Dad Poor Dad said. Yeah, no, that that is a awesome strategy to kind of get in. So you didn't have that much money to pursue investing in yourself. And if you were to go to 20% down in most properties, you wouldn't be able to afford it. So what you did was you tapped into your network of investors who are more experienced, who was willing to take you on board. So you could say that his name was Dan, if I'm Dan, correct? Yeah. yeah. So Dan was your first kind of mentor or introduction into actually taking action into real estate. And when you surround yourself with other investors who take action, like you were having cold feet, you're like, I'm not going to do this anymore. But surrounding yourself with power players, they told you that, look, we have our money basically invested in this project as well. I'm pretty sure they could have easily found capital elsewhere or like cough up an extra 5k. It's not a big deal for those guys. Um, but they got you in the market because you surrounded yourself with players who are in the game and knew how to make wealth. So love that introduction story. Let what what happened after that? So you ended up purchasing your first property a couple of years back, rented it out, I presume. Where do you go from here? Yeah, so there actually was I purchased that and then I was like, okay, well, all my money is like locked up and I, I don't really have any money left. And so for, for me, it was just like, well, it's going to take me a long time to save all of this money and then to get like another property. But that's what I was thinking because I was like, hey, this asset is generating me money. So I think around that time was the, the time when I met you. And then um, we were talking a bunch about real estate and all, all these different things. We were also saying like, okay, we're going to spend less. Here's how we're going to save all of our money. Um, and we started doing that and, and putting um, things in, into action. And then for me, it started opening up um, lines of credits as, as well, um, because I started to get lines of credits through just being part of like lots of banks. And I didn't apply for this, but for any new investors, the tip is open as many like lines of credits you can before you um, actually jump into your property. For me, I actually got lucky because I was part of like all the different banks. So they were pre-approving me for lines of credits. And I was like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, and then afterwards, it was just like for my second property, I was like, hey, I learned about this burst strategy from a guy named Matt McKeever on YouTube. Um, and then also looking at Mike Rosehart. So after that, for there, I was just like, okay, I've I've seen these guys and they're doing something like the burst strategy. I'm incredibly interested in that. So what I did was I actually, um, Mike Rosehart, he had a mentee opportunity. And so for me, I, I shadowed under him and I learned. Um, so I'd go over there on the weekends and even the evenings. And then for there, I, I learned a lot from him about like the burst strategy, even his mindset, um, because for the real estate component, it's 
Um, and why you tells me this all the time, he says like, yeah, real estate's easy. You just, you know, get your money, you, you buy this property, you rent it out and, and that's it. But the mindset component is actually the hard thing because it's like, okay, how do I, you know, get more money for this? How do I pitch JV deals to people? And so he, he taught me a lot of that and just being around him, I was open to a lot of that. Um, so for me, um, the second phase or how I got my second property was I actually partnered with um, an active investor and we picked up a triplex at that time, which was a 1% rule in London. And it was crazy because um, at there, I was like, this is an amazing deal. But for there it was actually, I bought in a, I would say C minus neighborhood. Um, and the tenants were chaos, man. It was chaos. And then after there, it was just like, from that one property in London, I had the confidence for myself because I was like, hey, if I can deal with that, I can go through anything. So let's share some of the experiences with your second property. What got you to that decision that you wanted to move and pivot towards in a partnership where you're the you're the passive partner? Because typically when you think of the ideal passive partner, you think of someone with two, three, four hundred thousand dollars in savings, right? Making a six figure job is like, okay, like I'm too busy doing other things. So I am just going to give my money to an active partner to do all the work. First of all, I want to understand your mindset into determining that decision where you wanted to be the passive partner, because that's an unusual decision for a lot of investors in that the phase you were in. And second of all, can you chime into some of the learning curves that you had with that second property that you had there, especially because you were the passive partner. So I didn't anticipate for you to be dealing with some of those things. So let's let's dig into that. Yeah, I wanted to be the passive partner because I still wanted to learn a bunch because I still haven't done any of the the renovations or um, pulled off the strategy um, entirely yet. So I just wanted to, for me, it's I'm a, more of a risk adverse person. So I like to take um, the different steps. So go from like one, two, three, four, five, and that's how I go. Um, and so for this, it was just like more so of me being the passive partner was just, hey, it's an opportunity for me to learn. And so for here, it was just like, what happened was quickly I realized that my active partner was too busy at the time. And from the passive partner, I turned into the active partner because I had to deal with three units and three tenants that were just nightmare tenants. But we eventually got them out, but the main tenant was actually, um, they didn't pay rent and they didn't pay rent for about like six to almost, I, I think it was eight to 10 months that they didn't pay rent. And then it was crazy because they also had bed bugs in their bed and they also broke the stove and they also stopped paying for the utility bills. Yeah, um, that becomes so, an issue because when they have bed bugs, they're just going to report it to you and yep. extra expensive. You try to clean it up and if you do, it comes back because presumably the living condition is not the cleanest. <laughs> so it's just going to end up coming back. Yeah. And the crazy thing was this tenant affected every other tenant because they didn't pay for their utility bills. And so the hot water tank was actually connected to the basement unit as well. So then they didn't have hot water for like a good two to three months. And so the basement tenant is just like messaging me every single day. And I'm like trying to call and, and figure out how I can get 
hot water for them and trying to get this tenant to pay for the hot water. And she just wouldn't. So eventually I had to pay for the hot water. I had to fix the stove. I had to clear her bed bugs um, in order for me to go to the landlord tenant board um, to get her out. The phenomenal thing I found was because this tenant was such a chaos, she helped me turn over um, the top unit and the bottom unit because I was lack of hot water and all of that. (laughs) Yeah. So she helped me turn that over. And I always I was like the good guy where I was just like, hey, it's not me. It's the main tenant that's causing all of this chaos. I'm ready and I'm willing to help you move to whichever unit that you need. You need a reference. I got you for that. And so they actually helped me turn over both the top and the bottom. So then I started renovating um, those two units um, in order to place a better tenant. Uh, But as I was dealing with this tenant, I I went into her door and I I knocked on her door and I said, hey, you know, you're screwing me over. And she was like, she was just giving me like mountains of like excuses, but she was a professional tenant. So she knew exactly what she was doing. I guess like learning curves there is I'm like rambling because all my emotions is coming out from this property. But like my learning curve was like, I learned a lot more about the landlord tenant board. and when you're a new investor, you think like everything's fair in the world. But when you go to landlord tenant board, it's like the landlord tenant board is heavily in favor of the tenant. And so all of my paperwork has to be filled out properly. If I have an error in that paperwork, they'll make me resubmit it and go to the landlord tenant board again. I also have to come with a lot of evidence with text messages, emails, um, all of these different things where I need to show proof that, hey, this is what's the tenants done to me. And then even after that, like after clearing it through the landlord tenant board afterwards, it's like sometimes the landlord tenant board takes their time to issue like the court order or thing to evict the tenant. So that takes a bit of time. So evicting a tenant, I learned, is really, really troublesome. So what I did was after that, I learned to screen tenants extremely well because that was just like chaos. After there, it was also, it's like um, the real estate industry is like, there's all types of characters in the industry. And so for me, I also learned about, hey, um, be careful um, who you put your trust in. Um, Be careful with contractors, property managers, or, or even other people that you're investing um, with. So I learned about that. And then I, I learned about things are not always as easy as it seems because it's not like, hey, I buy this property. Okay, this property is going to cash flow. Okay, this is going to take me like two weeks or a month of time. Like renovations, placing tenants, stabilizing a property, this all takes time. And it can take from like six months. Um, to even a year um, if you're dealing with these bigger units. Yeah, um, exactly. I don't think people realize that it does take time to stabilize properties that in which you are inheriting tenants because there's no guarantee on when you can get the tenant out or if you can get the tenant out. There's properties that I have in my portfolio where I've assumed tenants and uh, was not not was not successful in cash for keys nor any other alternative route to to get them out. And so I'm just living with that under rented unit, which obviously impacts the ability to completely turn around the building and refinance. So that's definitely a good learning lesson there. Let's move forward onto your journey. So um, I want to fast forward a bit. 
where are you right now in your journey um, in terms of real estate investing? Um, how many properties do you own at this moment? And um, what were some of the actionable steps, if you can highlight that you took from that point where you got your second property to where you are today? Yeah, so for me, just like how many properties I accumulated was I accumulated eight in total, but I've sold some of those. So the the properties that I actually have in my portfolio is about four to five. Um, and I'm, I say four to five because I'm currently selling one um, and it's under contract and it will be sold soon. And so for me, my mindset is kind of, I was a hustler and I was looking for opportunities. So I would literally went to Cambridge, Kitchener, London. I drove over to, to Windsor too. Like, um, I think like over 10 times and I, I lost, like, I probably lost like every bid because I wasn't committed, um, to buying a property there. And so for me, it was just like, I have a property in Edmonton. So for me, it was just like, Hey, how do I sell some of these properties off to consolidate and really scale in, you know, a market that I really believe in and scale with a strategy that I believe in. Um, and so for me right now, my, my strategy is I'm looking to sell off some of my properties, which are scattered around the place so that I can focus on just more like uh burrs and buy and holds in the Edmonton area. And then I'm also like, that's the passive approach, but real estate, it's like, it takes time for real estate to, to work its wonder. So I'm also looking at ways where I can um, make active income as well. And so that's when I started right now, I'm actually just start um, starting looking to doing more flips. I'm just curious, why did you decide to sell some properties off? Was there any reasoning behind that? Yeah, it was more so of like, well, there, there was a couple of reasons where it was just like, the first was like our partners. Um, and we, we actually bought three properties together and how we did that was we actually put the mortgage under one person's name, and then we would sign a separate joint venture, um, contract with each other. And so the sole purpose of our uh, partnership was to put a property under each one person's name. And so over that time, like four years, a lot of things have changed and they've been phenomenal partners. So we've been saying, Hey, does it make sense for us to buy these bigger multifamily homes? Because, you know, like I don't get cold feet or I don't even get excited when I buy like another property anymore. Or does it make sense for us to sell and just do our own thing? And so initially we started exploring the multifamily route. And then afterwards we, we decided that we were going to do our own thing. So that's why we've been selling. And then also I've been looking to sell because it's just hard to like be able to be in multiple markets. Like if I'm in like one city, that's like one plumber, one handyman, one property manager. And I just need to focus on the relationship there. But if I'm in multiple cities, it's hard to get like, you know, those really solid relationships with anyone. And it's hard to scale that way. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. I think that's an important, uh, important consideration for people looking to get into partnerships. When you own multiple assets with the same partner and one party wants to sell, and of course, generally you come to an agreement, that could be a significant portion of your portfolio being sold, right? So um, I try to diversify my partnerships among different partners because if one person wants to sell, 
sure, I can sell this property off, but I still have other properties as well with different partners, right? Or if one person I have four properties with wants to sell the property, I'm not going to hold them back and say, no, like we're holding this for the next 20 or 30 years. Of course, if it doesn't make sense to sell, I'll try to talk logic into them. But if they want to sell, they're adamant on it. I'm not going to stop them. That could be a significant chunk of your portfolio gone if it's only with a couple of partners. So it's good to hear that now you're kind of branching off into expanding your own portfolio and having full control of that, right? Because you can ultimately be the final decision maker there. So want to continue going on into the Edmonton route. That's interesting. I'm hearing quite a bit of investors going into Edmonton um, or just Alberta in general. What is attractive about Alberta um, or Edmonton for that matter? And did you take a look at any other provinces at all or was it just Alberta? It's interesting. Funny you say that because there's been at least like eight people that have reached out to me after I went over to Edmonton to ask me about the market. And then they flew over themselves and they're looking into properties um, there as well. Um, So for me, the reason for why I stumbled across Edmonton was because I do not like the, the, the tenant laws, um, especially if they're similar to Ontario. So I was just looking at different provinces and I, I was looking, Hey, where are the places that have good tenant laws that are actually fair um, and not even super favorable to the landlords, but just fair in general. And I looked at a, a couple of provinces where I, I think New Brunswick was one, and then also um, Alberta was another. And so there was another province that I was also looking at, but um, for these ones, I narrowed it down to two. And then afterwards, I was looking at New Brunswick and I was um, looking at their their stats like just population okay what's their population growth okay what's their vacancy rates okay what's like the demographics the income and all of these different factors and so for me it was just like after looking at all of that and the historical trends and the like uh employment of all of them i was like hey i think alberta looks really really great right now so that's why i went into alberta Gotcha. So um, have you thought about I know Alberta has gone through a rough patch the last decade in terms of real estate prices going up, down, boom, bust um, because it's heavily tied to the oil industry. Was that a consideration? And do you is that something that you think about when holding these properties long term? I just want to get a better idea of the risk mitigation strategy there, because, again, like I know a lot of investors going there. I haven't done too much research about it. Yeah, so Alberta, that was the thing that scared me a lot was oil and gas because they've been hit hard with oil and gas. And it's favorable now because oil prices are are going up. So I, I feel like that's why there's more eyes and attention into Alberta. A lot of oil and gas is getting phased out in the world for renewable energy. And so... Alberta is actually a great province that's positioned for renewable energy, and they're also well positioned for tech. So long term, if they are able to play out these two angles, then Alberta is a very attractive place to be in. For oil and gas, I mean, like things can go up and um, down, but it's still a very valuable resource. I don't see it being phased out um, completely um, very soon. So for me, it's just like, hey, that's still an industry there. And so for Edmonton, the reason for there, um, I actually initially looked into Calgary 
Um, and I talked to real estate investors over there and I learned a lot more of that. Calgary is actually very dependent on oil and gas, whereas Edmonton, because they're the capital city of Alberta, they're not nearly as dependent at, on oil and gas as they are. They still are, but they have other things like healthcare, they have agriculture, they have a lot of government jobs because it's the capital city. And so I saw a lot of these things and I was like, hey, the price point really, really makes sense right now. So that's why I dove deep, deeper into Edmonton. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And tell me a bit about how you got started in Edmonton. So first step is do your due diligence, pick the market that you want to invest in. And now we talk about long distance. For me, long distance is about four or five hour drive away. This is truly long distance where it's a flight away. So how did you get the confidence to purchase your first property there? Do you want, let's kind of walk through that process as well, because I've always been considering investing out of province as well, uh, mainly because of the tenant laws not being favorable in Ontario. I, I think out of province is like, it's a bit different because different provinces have their own like um, regulations and real estate policies and everything. So I think that's the only different aspect because even like something four or five hours away, like Windsor or somewhere like that, it's like, you don't want to be making the drives all the time. So for you, I know you've cleverly systemized a lot of things so you don't have to make the drive. And so if you think about that, it's like, if I don't have to make the drive every now and then I can visit like once every year, that would be great. So for me, it was just like, you actually gave me the confidence to go into another province because I'm like, hey, if someone can invest four hours away, like why not invest like 10, 20 hours away? And so for me, it was just like, okay, well, I got, I got confidence because Austin's already doing it. So that's a proof of concept already. Um, going out of province was just another step where I was just understanding um, the laws and regulations better. So I understood that, hey, there's not going to be any like foreign, like uh, inner province um, taxes or anything like that. So that was good. Then I realized like, hey, Alberta doesn't have land transfer tax. And I was like, well, I'm all for this. If I have to buy a property and I don't have to pay land transfer tax, that's phenomenal for me. Um, and then I was like, okay, the landlord tenant board is very favorable in the sense where it's like, at the end of a lease, I can actually jack up rents like $500 to $1,000. And if the tenant doesn't want to pay that, then I can tell them to, okay, well, if you don't want to pay that, then you, you can go. That's, that's our agreement. And so that's very favorable. So once I understood the regulations and policies, it just became the same thing. It was just like, I'm investing in a city that's further away. And so for there, it was just a matter of building the right relationships where it was just like, hey, I'm going to talk to other investors. I'm going to talk to other realtors, lawyers, mortgage specialists, um, and all these different folks um, and calling them down to really understand, hey, what are the A, B, C, and D neighborhoods? Um, a being the best, D being like danger zone and don't go here. Um, and so for me, it was like, hey, these are the B and C neighborhoods. I can start investing in this. Um, and really, once I had the knowledge and the connections there, everything else became easy. 
One thing that I'm curious about is in Ontario, I say or I preferably avoid these war zone, not great areas because of the tenant laws not being favorable. For you, is there a reason why you don't want to go with these lower, I guess, like DC neighborhoods? And I ask this because when you deal with cities with non-favorable tenant laws or more balanced tenant laws where you can increase the rent, file for eviction if they don't pay for rent, like it's easier with that process. The cash flow a lot of the time makes sense in these rougher neighborhoods. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Is Was there a particular reason why you wanted to target these higher end neighborhoods? Or is it just more of passive investing or it's more it's going to be more passive? Yeah, I think for my strategy and how I've always done things was I looked at um, cash flow where I'm like, hey, I can generate a lot of cash flow in different cities. Um, and, and Timmins is like a great example of that. Um, I think my principle for investing is, hey, as long as I'm making like two to 500 bucks in cash flow for a property that's like a duplex or a single family, and I'm holding this in a very good neighborhood, I can hold that indefinitely. And then the other thing is I'm attracting good tenants. So they don't call me all day, every day. Because I had that with my London property. And I was just like, hey, these guys calling me all the time. I'm wasting my own time. And my time is I'm starting to value it. And I'm going like, this is money as well. Um, So for me, it was just like, hey, I'll buy in a good neighborhood that cash flows a little bit. And then afterwards, um, I can hold on to those properties for a very, very long time. Yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't take up too much of your time as well as these properties are more likely to appreciate over the long term, which ultimately, I mean, wealth is wealth in real estate is made by the appreciation. The cash flow is more so for you to leave your full time job. But if you really want to be wealthy, that typically comes from equity paid on an appreciation. So moving forward now, you're looking into getting into flipping. Um, Can you tell me how things change when you do flipping from let's say like either how you calculate numbers, how you're finding your deals now, because you can't really rely on a realtor to get you flip deals. A lot of the times these properties on the MLS, they make little to no sense from a flipping perspective, right? Because you need a big margin on that. So how have things shifted um, when now that you're getting into flipping from both? Like We can talk about everything, the systems, the numbers, finding the deals. Yeah, it's... um... I will be quite honest. I'm I'm still digging into the flipping area, um, flipping end. But for me, I've talked to a lot of real estate investors about it, and they said the same thing as you. Where it's like, hey, if you're getting MLS deals, they don't make sense because there's so much transaction cost with realtors, lawyers, all of these different things. And so for me, it was just like, okay, how do I find good deals? And that was really the significant part about the difference between a burr and a flip. They're essentially the same thing where you have to manage contractors um, to do the um, the job. Um, the only difference I would say is um, the material that's actually used and how nice these renovations have to be, which just costs more money. And then the second thing is the deal just needs to be bought heavily under market value. Um, for the numbers to make sense with all those additional costs. What are you doing in particular now to try to source these deals that kind of meet your criteria for flipping? For there, I just call my good friend Austin every day and hope he has a deal for me. 
it's probably not the best strategy, but <laughs> no, I'm joking, guys. I, I have deals on deals for days. So register on www.ontariopropertydeals.ca <laughs> if you want your off market deals. Enough with the shameless plug. But uh, have you gone door knocking or anything yet? Like, are, is, I know you've done driving for dollars, but after you get these, let's talk about, a bit about driving for dollars. So, first of all, what is it? Because I know that that's something that you've been researching on and implementing yourself. And after you do get properties in your driving for dollars list, where do you go from here? Um, I'm actually coaching with the, the same coach as Austin, which is uh, Corey. And for there, Corey was saying, telling me, he's like, hey, if you want to find really good deals, you're going to actually have to build relationships and drive for dollars. And so when he told me this, I was like, okay. Um, two days after, I went driving for dollars. Um, so I mapped out, and the region I'm looking for in is um, Oshawa because it's one of the cheapest regions in the GTA. And for there, it was just like, hey, well, I'm going to have to find a deal. Um, so I drove around all these neighborhoods. And what driving for dollars is, is you're really just driving around to find out, hey, out of the streets, which are the streets and what are the houses that are beaten down, like have tall grass that has been unkept, has a lot of mail in their mailbox. You know, they're the, the, the roof. Um, is caving in or the shingles need to be replaced. Um, just like uh, lots of things like that, where you can you can see from there. And so what I did was I actually um, paid one of my friends to sit beside me while I was driving for dollars, where I was driving and he was actually writing down notes on, hey, this is a bad house. This is a bad house that can be flipped. So for me, it's just like, I have a list of all of these um, list of all these houses in the neighborhoods and my plan is really just to try to get their phone numbers or and and just knock on their doors to, to see hey is there anyone that's looking to sell their house in this region and really just build out that pipeline so long term i have a good source of deals how are um, you getting their phone number um their phone numbers i haven't actually gotten to that part yet so for me it's just like i've gotten how far I've gotten is I'm getting my cousin or I've outsourced driving for dollars. So they're driving around to map out this entire city. So once I get all of that, um, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to see if I can um, find the, the owner's name through some method, some way, shape or form. And then afterwards, just seeing if I can do a reverse lookup for their phone numbers. If I can't, then I'm like, okay, time to start knocking on some doors. Yeah. So I've actually heard from investors. That was one of the things we struggle with is getting phone numbers. We use Canada 411 for reverse lookup on addresses to find their phone number. Or if we have the owner's name, even better, we can search the owner's name on Canada 411 and see if the phone number kicks out for that particular address. Um, our success rate has been fairly low on that in terms of finding the numbers available. But I know other investors will go on Facebook um, to try to find the owner for for you i know you have a uh, realtor access so you can just go into your warehouse for that um try they they i think um one of Corey's students actually found the phone number or email on linkedin for someone and got a deal via that so that's like pretty wow. cool um yeah i mean there's or you can knock on the neighbor's door or something like that ask if they ever see the seller around pass on the phone number pass a referral free that way and i hear as far as people even go to the city and letting the city know, like, hey, look, I'm looking for this owner. 
um, you can make up some sort of story. I mean, I don't recommend it, but uh, you guys do what you want. <laughs> but I'm just sharing what I know. You can go to the city and be like, hey, look, uh, I actually own a property nearby here. Um, the, the na- that neighbor's dog or whatever has been pooping on my lawn trying to get a hold of him. And he's not he's not responding back. Um, I'm going to take it to I'm going to take some legal action like we've already had an agreement and stuff on this. But before I do, I want to come to a settlement with him. So is there any way that I could speak to him? Like, great. Like, do you have the phone number or something? So make some sort of story. It doesn't have to be that in which you go to the city and there's a reason for them to give you the owner's phone number or some cities would just be open to give you the phone number. So different ways to go about it. Um, but yeah, that'd be, that'd be amazing, right? Like if you can collect these phone numbers, at least they've already passed the, passed the litmus test of these properties I distrust. The people are not taking care of it. That's the first thing, right? And the second step is now, how do I get in contact with these people? Um, so I'm sure you're going to be getting deals that way as well. Okay. Awesome. Antonio, really appreciate you having, uh, jumping on this podcast and, this is the next logical question here. This is something I'm curious about. Maya usually asks this question, but Maya's not here right now. So the question here is, um, what are your goals um, over the next five years? And you can even give me your goal over the next year or two, knowing that you're still evolving and growing in real estate investing. Yeah, I, I'd say for goals, it's like, I think I'm in that weird state of transition where I'm like still trying to formulate and create all my goals because uh, I think you and I were, were very goal-oriented because I, I know from RBC we're like, hey, we got to reach this goal. We got to reach these goals. And for me, it was just like, really, I, when I'm transitioning from this flipping business, it's really just to laser focus on the, the flipping business and make sure that, hey, this business is is growing, it's, it's profitable, and we're doing um, good deals and doing um, good projects that people want to live in um, or I want to live in. Awesome. Um, so that's going to so get yeah. you your active income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then five years out from that. I think for me, it's just like um, real estate is a vehicle. And afterwards, I guess like if someone's been in the industry for five to 10 years, it's just like, what do I do after that? Um, when the, when we originally talked about that happiness circle where wealth is, solved the what are the next aspects and for me it's just like hey i want to do like an iron man where if people that don't know the iron man is it's it's a marathon uh, i don't know all the distances but it's basically it's a triathlon on steroids um so i want to do that and then also really just want to you know have a family and then really teach the kids about real estate investing and um, being responsible with their money. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I guess at the age of 31, you're going to have kids, eh? <laughs> so for your future partner um, who's listening to this, they know where your intentions lie, when you want, when exactly you want kids. Um, yeah. Second question here is if you won $10 million and you had seven days to spend it, you cannot spend it all on real estate. Um, how would you spend it? I, I think I'd buy my, uh, my good friend, Austin, you know, like um, some more... Um, some more real estate and I guess like a vacation for teaching me all that he has. Um, $10 million vacation. I'll take it. Not 10 million, maybe like uh, $2, wherever that gets you. (laughs) No, but no, Austin, Austin has taught me um, a lot and you might not know it, but um, for, for you, it's just like being, seeing how fast you've grown 
and seeing all the the plays that you've made, it's inspired me. Um, and for me, it's always been like I'm I'm always um, inspired by that, and that's the reason for why I've been growing so quickly too. Um, and it was just like, hey man, like if I were to to buy a vacation for for anyone, it'd definitely be for some of my friends, um, close friends, and you definitely get a vacation there. Um, so buy a vacation for my close friends, their family, wherever they want to go, they can go there and they can enjoy their time there. Um, I don't know how much that costs, but I'm going to say that's a million bucks. Um, not frugal at all. Um, then the second is really just like put like 5 million bucks into like a, a trust fund that invests in like an index fund. So future generations um, are okay. Um, so they, they never have to worry about money um, the same way I did when I was um, younger. And then also it's just like, other things that I want to do is I just want to help like immigrants. And I also want to help like, um, I guess like people that are just like starting off or anything like that, but let's go with immigrants where it's just like, if I could build like a, a fund where it's like these immigrants are starting their own businesses. Um, and then for them is they start these businesses and then they can actually return that loan. That's maybe like a 0% interest loan. Um, and they they can build themselves um, that way um, and start like a community there. Very charitable person. You sound like Mr. Beast. You know who Mr. I, I assume you know who Mr. Beast is, biggest YouTuber. Oh, yeah. Basically yeah. just giving your money out, man. Good man. <laughs> yeah, well, not giving it out once, you know, like the five million dollar trust fund and that's established. It's like, what are the other things that are fulfilling? Yeah, no, I totally get you. And last question here. If you were to be able to meet anyone dead dead or alive, who would it be and why? Uh, this would have to be Dale Carnegie because um, this is, um, I'm ashamed of this, but like the first book I've, I've ever read was in my second year of university. And the first book was actually How to Win Friends and Influence Others. And I just really enjoyed like reading that book and all the, value and philosophy that he had in that book so really just sit down with him and just pick his brain on um yeah how he was a great businessman but also being a great person at the same time is, that, is he dead or alive i'm actually not too sure <laughs> he's uh he's definitely dead um, okay yeah i thought so that book is pretty old um yeah <laughs> love that answer there man and uh really appreciate you jumping on the podcast antonio you're doing amazing things um, I know that you were talking about how much that I inspire you, but honestly, you're the person who got me started on this journey. I picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad because of your suggestion. So I'm really happy to have you here as a friend. And again, I can't wait to see what you do in the flipping world as well. If people want to reach out to you, connect with you a bit more, maybe hear a bit more about your story. How could they do so? Yeah, thanks, man. And it's um, they can reach out to um, follow me on Instagram, which is the letter A and then the word young. Um, and then so if there's old, this is young and then there's uh, money and then it's an underscore. So A Y O U N G underscore money, uh, money and then underscore money, then underscore. OK, cool. So anyway, so I don't know why I'm spelling it out. All of the links are going to be down there in the show notes below. Um, again, Antonio, really appreciate you jumping on here. If you guys enjoyed this podcast episode, make sure to like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support the podcast. We're trying to hit 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I think we're about four off in Apple Podcasts. So let's pump those numbers up, guys. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better.